Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Behind the Money Night School. I'm Peter Spiegel. I'm the U.S. Managing Editor of the Financial Times. BTM Night School is a special series made in collaboration with Blinkist, that will serve as a guide to the U.S. economy in 2023. For tonight's lesson... It's not actually that unusual for markets and real life to be out of sync. But this sort of weird dynamic we have where bad news for real life is good news for markets has been a feature of markets for as long as, well, forever. We're talking all types of markets, from stocks to bonds to commodities. We're joined by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin, and Ethan Wu, a member of the FT's Wall Street team here in New York. Ethan Katie won pack why last year was terrible for stocks, what's in store for 2023, and what the stock market says or does not say about the strength of the U.S. economy. So, guys, last year, it was a, a terrible year for the stock market, but it happened at a time the U.S. economy was actually still pretty strong. So can I just start with a big general question, which is why would the stock market go down if the real economy is going up. And why is this opposite direction thing happening? Well, as much as markets love growth, they really, really hate inflation. And that was the big story of last year. It was inflation going up, prices rising across the economy. That destabilizes the economy, markets, everything. So the economy was growing. It, you know, People were spending, companies were investing. But when you have in inflation, it makes it hard to invest. For any investor, retail, professional, everyone's job gets harder. And a key reason for that is policymakers respond to inflation by increasing the price of money, by increasing interest rates. And, you know, you could think of interest rates a little bit like what can you earn taking absolutely no risk at all? You know, if you invest in a stock in a company, that company could go bust, could lose money, could, you know, turn out a bad quarter. But interest rates are risk free. You can get, you know, today, four and a half percent putting it in a savings account. You don't need to go into the stock market. And so what that does is it leads to a stampede of investors out of the stock market. And that is kind of more or less what happened last year. People looking at the stock market saying, hey, this thing kind of went crazy in 2021. And now we can get two, three, four percent absolutely risk free. Why the hell would we stay in stocks? Katie, let me ask you the same topic, but sort of to broaden it beyond last year, because there's been a lot of conversation about whether the stock market is still a good barometer for the real economy. The size of the stock market relative to corporates more generally has in some ways gotten smaller. We've seen a lot of the big tech startups, for instance, in, in Silicon Valley. They've stayed private for a lot of a long time, so we don't see them on the public markets. Has that distorted things? Does the stock market still represent the broader economy the way it did 20, 30, 40 years ago? It's not actually that unusual for markets and real life to be out of sync, just out of whack. You know, like like Ethan was just saying, the one of the things that, that markets love most of all is nice, low interest rates. <laughs> you know, the, the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates, stock markets go higher. So actually what stock markets love is bad news. So in the middle of COVID, um, when, when COVID first broke out, obviously you know, stocks took a bath. But as soon as the Federal Reserve and all the other 
Central banks started just throwing money at the situation, cutting rates really, really hard. There was an incredible rally in the US stock market. And yes, that unraveled last year. So 2022 was an absolute stinker by any sensible measure. Now, you know, on your point around do the markets reflect real life from the point of view that a lot of companies stay private now, that's actually a really interesting point. So one of the things that stock market investors kind of bellyache about, honestly, is we're kind of starved of good opportunities a lot in the stock market at the moment because a lot of companies do just stay private. You know, those scoundrels in the private equity industry, you know, they they get into companies and they keep their claws in them for a really long time. They don't list them on the stock market as quickly as they used to. So it's difficult for traditional investors to kind of get a slice of that. And again, that goes back to the point around inflation. It's the only thing that matters. Inflation and interest rates, they are absolutely dominant here. Private equity companies are flush with cash because it's been so cheap to borrow for so long that they can afford to buy enormous stakes in companies and just hold on to them until they jolly well want to get rid of them, which might be never. So it's definitely a factor, but this sort of weird dynamic we have where bad news for real life is good news for markets has been has been a feature of markets for as long as, well, forever. Okay. Well, let's let's get back to the public markets. The purpose in many ways of the the equity markets is to allocate capital to companies so they can invest and grow. The other sort of knock-on effect of that in the real economy is as the markets go up, your average retail investor, your average punter sees their wealth go up and that gets them to be more willing to spend and also juices the US economy. Are those two channels still relevant in in the modern markets? Are those the two the most important things we we need to focus on when we think about the stock market's relevance to the real economy? Yeah, definitely. And you know, one of the things you can probably tell from my accent that I am a Brit, and one of the things that we find super weird is that Americans buy stocks all the time. <laughs> so, you know, Americans got these stimulus checks in the middle of the COVID pandemic from the government. What did you do with them? You went out and bought stocks. Let me tell you something. In a million years, it would not occur to Brits or Europeans to take money from the government and punt around in the stock market with it. We have a completely different kind of culture around retail investment. But there's a really direct relationship between the performance of stock markets and the wealth of households in the States, precisely because you have this really active, vibrant kind of stock market where ordinary people buy stocks all the time. Ordinary people make decisions around their 401ks that is just not something that that we do. So there's definitely a kind of feel-good factor, if absolutely nothing else, economically in the States when stock markets do well. Well, since Ethan and I outnumber you, because we're the Americans here, <laughs> let's tell our listeners if they are paying attention to the stock markets, what they should be paying attention to. Because the thing that is always, I think, on the morning news when we wake up here in the U.S. is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We've been, this is going on since I was a kid, and and frankly, before that, the Dow was up, the Dow was down. But the FT doesn't use the Dow. The the FT tends to use the S&P 500. Why does the FT follow the S&P 500 while maybe their morning news show follows the Dow Jones Industrial Average? You know how Coca-Cola used to make soda with cocaine in it? (laughs) It is true. (laughs) It's a little bit like the Dow, you know, not, not to smear the good folks at Dow Jones, but, you know, that's the old recipe. Uh, and the S&P 500 is the new recipe. The S&P 500 is constructed the way pretty much all modern indices are constructed, which is bigger companies, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Intel, whatever, Tesla, they get more weight in the index. Smaller companies get less weight. The Dow Jones doesn't quite work like that. So it's a little hard to compare kind of apples to apples. But the S&P 500 is kind of 
considered the marquee benchmark for U.S. markets. Uh, but it's worth noting that it's not the entire U.S. stock market. There are um, you know thousands of companies, six thousand something like that, in the U.S. stock market publicly listed. The S and P five hundred is the five hundred biggest. So these are large companies. It doesn't include you know medium and small size companies. It certainly doesn't include you know your local barbershop or other small business. Uh, so there's a kind of broader corporate universe. But in terms of a gauge of the real economy, you should just look at gauges of the real economy, right? You can Google GDP. You can Google job growth. It takes you five seconds. Very easy to find these days. So the stock market's connected to the real economy, but thinking of it as, as a metric, it's just a little bit too indirect to, to read unless you really know what you're talking about. All right, so Katie, we started with perhaps the the index that Americans follow too much and and probably shouldn't. Let me talk about the stock market in particular because there's a case to say that the stock market itself is followed too much uh, by your average American. When actually, if you look at the financial markets much more broadly, it's actually a relatively small bit of the overall financial markets. The bond market in particular is yeah. far bigger uh, in terms of money invested, in terms of volume traded. Just tell our, our listeners what the difference is between bond markets and stock markets and what it's worth watching in bonds. I mean, particularly, I would say U.S. sovereign bonds or U.S. treasuries when they're trying to understand the U.S. economy. Yeah. So the the stock market does throw off some slightly weird signals around the health of the economy. Yeah. The bond market is in a lot of ways a much more interesting read on the state of the economy. One thing that that government bonds and the all bonds really, but if you look at benchmark government bonds, one thing they really hate is inflation. Because you know, another word for, for the bond market that people throw around is fixed income. These bonds pay you a certain fixed amount of cash every year in form of a what we call a coupon. Now, if inflation goes up, then that amount of fixed payment that you receive effectively goes down and you're getting less and less money from these coupon payments all the time. And the eventual amount of money that you get back from from your investment in the bond, the kind of payback also is effectively worth less. So this means that the bond market tells you a lot around what professional investors think is happening to inflation, what they think inflation is going to do next what they think that the Federal Reserve is going to do in response to inflation. All of that stuff is there to be read in the bond market if you know where to find it. And I think people are sometimes a little bit allergic to the bond market because there are some things about it that seem really confusing. I'm here to tell you, if I can get this, anyone can get this. This is not complicated <laughs> stuff. You know, when when the price of a bond goes up, the yield, which is kind of the reference that everyone uses to gauge how a bond is doing, the yield goes down. Once you got that, you're away. You're a bond trader. And just to dumb it down even more, I mean, I always think of the bond market, and, and you will correct me because I'm sure I'm oversimplifying it. It's almost, if, if stocks are, I'm buying a piece of the company, bonds are, I'm lending a bit of money to a company or to a government. Yeah. And as the price of the, the bond goes up, the amount of borrowing costs goes down. Yep. So the price that, that that I am getting paid to loan the money to the government or to the corporates goes down, which is bad for me, basically. Um, that's the way I tend to think about it. Correct me if I'm wrong here. That's exactly it. So, you know, one of the things around, again, when COVID struck, central banks, superhero style, flung themselves into action, slashed interest rates, that meant that it was much, much, much cheaper for companies and governments to borrow. And that was a really important part of the economic recovery from, from that hit from COVID. But it also meant that because those borrowing costs basically hit the floor, investors got stuffed. <laughs> 
So the returns that they could earn off buying these bonds got absolutely crammed down to pretty much zero, even for quite risky borrowers. Um, So again, you know, everything is there in the bond market. It's growth, it's inflation, it's interest rates, it's corporate borrowing, it's government borrowing. You know, you just need a couple of tiny ingredients to kind of get it. And it's by far the kind of superior read. All right, Katie, one more question for you before I go back to Ethan, because I want to talk about other bits of the markets that our listeners might be following or might want to pay attention to. And that's kind of the bit of the markets that you came from. So first of all, commodities, Mm -hmm. which again, sounds confusing, but actually in terms of inputs to the real economy is pretty important. And then of course, your favorite foreign exchange, which is dollar, (laughs) pound, yen, all the big exchange between the different currencies. How important are those those, and, and what should our listeners think about when they think about those markets and the real U.S. economy? If you believe, as I think you probably should, that the stock market can throw off some slightly iffy signals around what's going on in the real economy, the commodities market is the real economy. So the price of oil effectively determines how much it costs you to drive your car, how much it costs the next flight that you're going to be buying, how much it costs you to heat your home. The cost of copper tells you what's going on with industrial growth because there's just so much copper that's needed in construction and in manufacturing. It gives you a really good read around what the demand for copper is like. You know, one of the things that happened when Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022 is that the gas price and the oil price went absolutely bananas because Europe in particular gets a lot of its energy needs from over in Russia. So, The commodities markets tell you about geopolitics because there is that Russia element. It tells you about food prices. Um, There are just so many fascinating stories that you can unlock there. Currencies, my first love in markets, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, it pains us. But the most important currency is clearly the dollar. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we have to admit, fine. That's the kind of North Star that kind of guides how all the other currencies behave. But it's really important to watch how currencies perform, particularly in emerging markets, because a lot of emerging markets have borrowed in dollars because that's the only currency that that investors want to engage with. The problem with that is that when the dollar pushes higher, suddenly the debt servicing costs for a lot of these countries really get quite painful and it's quite difficult for them to find enough money to pay these dollars back. So always the thing with the dollar, you know, it's it's our currency, your problem is what the Americans always say. But, you know, that it really imposes direct economic pain on countries and on companies if they borrow dollars cheaply and then really struggle to pay them back. So currency markets, definitely important to watch. Well, on part of all Americans, Katie, let me apologize to you for the pain (laughs) we've inflicted on you by our dollar. Let me turn it to Ethan for for our last topic. And when it comes to financial markets, we have to touch on crypto. Um, I know there's a big debate about whether it is a proper security like the other ones we're talking about. But Ethan, let me ask you that very question. I mean, obviously, a lot of our listeners, a lot of retail investors have been investing in crypto. It's gained a huge amount of popularity amongst retail investors. Is crypto really a security in the way stocks, bonds, commodities are? And and if you could touch a little bit about the future of crypto, because obviously we had the big collapse of FTX, Bitcoin sold off. And there's a real question now about what is the future of crypto and if even there is a future of crypto. <sighs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> crypto, what what can you say? Whether it's a security or something else is a very hotly contested topic. I think you'll get a lot of views from a lot of different people. The U.S. government seems to believe that it's either a security or a commodity. I would argue most cryptocurrencies are securities and some, arguably Bitcoin, Ethereum, the, the two biggest, 
look a little bit more like commodities, but this is, again, a very contested topic. I think what we can say about crypto is it's code. Crypto is code, and people have decided that it is worth something. And there are markets that really work, and you can actually trade them for real currency. You know, everything beyond that, I would say, is contested and, and unsure. This, the future of crypto regulation is being debated every day in Congress. But you know, in terms of the future of crypto, the crypto crash of 2022, the implosion of FTX, these really undermined the credibility that crypto had spent so much time you know, burnishing in the financial establishment, in the halls of Congress, just among ordinary people. A lot of people have lost money, especially young people, especially people of color. They've lost you know, really serious sums. And, and this is not money people were willing or able you know, to, to lose. And so I think right now, uh, the future of crypto is contested, uh, uncertain, but there are a lot of people with that recent memory of having lost a lot of money. So, you know, I would say the fundamental answer is we don't know, which, <laughs> which you know, sucks as an answer. But crypto's trying really hard to rebuild from, from the ashes, and we'll just have to see if they can do it. All right. That's great. Now, I'm going to put you guys in the spotlight right now and ask you, if our listeners are sitting here and we're wrapping up our conversation, what are the, the three big takeaways that they should have in their head from this conversation? Let me start with number one. Ethan, let me start with you. Yeah. So I think the first one is that the stock market and the economy are not the same, but they do interact. And you shouldn't think of the stock market as a barometer of the real economy, but something feeding into the real economy. Okay. Katie, two. So I think, look, the stock market matters, but there are so many other markets that really deserve your attention. The US government bond market is the world's most important market. It sets the price for every other asset on the planet, effectively, and it tells you a huge amount around what the US economy is doing today and what the big brains, the professional investors think is going to happen to the US economy tomorrow. I really recommend keeping an eye on it, and also keeping an eye on commodities. Okay. And three, Ethan, back to you. Yeah. And just lastly on crypto, the, the future and the present of crypto, highly contested, highly uncertain. But what we can say is that a tremendous number of investors, especially young people and people of color, have just lost a lot of money on crypto and buyers should beware. All right, Katie, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If our listeners are going to take one thing away to remember from this conversation, what would you say is the one big thing they should think about? The one big thing to think about? It's inflation. And you know what? What I think is going to happen to inflation and what you think is going to happen to inflation and any of our listeners think is going to happen to inflation is just as important as what Jay Powell, who runs the Federal Reserve, thinks is going to happen. Because what we've learned over the past couple of years is that nobody understands it. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. And every opinion around what is going to happen to prices is valid. Guys, thank you very much. You can find more of Ethan and Katie's reporting on FT.com. This episode was done in collaboration with Blinkist. If you want to find more conversations and topics like this, check out the Blinkist app. This episode was produced by Zach St. Louis. Topher Forez is our executive producer. Sound designed by Breen Turner and Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is our global head of audio. Thanks for listening. Class dismissed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. 